For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Then we leap to the middle, um, Proverbs 27, verse 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens the wits of another. New Testament again, John 15, 12 through 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. This is the word of God for the people of God. What a gorgeous day it is today, oh God. We give you thanks for bringing us here together to enjoy your gifts of one another and of this community of faith as we worship and offer our praise to you. And now as we prepare to hear this message, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, today is the third Sunday in our sermon series, Can You Relate? And I was given the topic of friendship. And I want to point out that as I went through and researched and looked to some of the great preachers that I often use to get me going and as springboards and look to them for resources, they have very little to say on this topic. I don't think it's because they don't have any friends, although maybe, you know, they have busy lives. But I think that what it might be is that this scripture, well, one of the scriptures I chose, because I had trouble making up my mind, one of the scriptures that I chose says that, well, Jesus says that one lays down their life for one's friends. And that's a hard subject to tackle. But who knows? Who knows why that is? I can tell you this, that with our impending move in our house, there is a lot of talk about friendships. I have one who is afraid that he won't make any new friends, and I have one that doesn't want to make any new friends because she has enough. Thank you very much. She likes the ones she has. But friendships are important. We all know that. The Bible tells us that just like iron sharpens iron, so we sharpen one another. We are better when we have good friends. We are stronger. God has designed us for relationship. Leonard Syme, a professor of epitomology at the University of California at Berkeley, indicates the importance of social ties and social support systems in relationship to mortality and disease rates. He points to Japan as being number one in the world with respect to health and then discusses the close social, cultural, and traditional ties in the country as the reason. He believes that the more social ties, the better the health and the lower the death rate. Conversely, he indicates that the more isolated the person, the poorer the health and the higher the death rate. 
Social ties are good preventative medicine for physical problems and for mental, emotional behavior problems. Having good friends is good for your health. So let's do a survey. How many of you have friends? Right? How many of you have a best friend? How about how many of you have friends from childhood that you're still friends with today? Anybody wish they had more friends? Eh. <laughs> yeah. I gotta make a whole bunch of new friends. Oh, I've got no. <laughs> Last week I had dinner with uh, two friends of mine that I can't remember ever not knowing. I couldn't tell you when we met. All I know is when I think back on my childhood and my life at church, they are in all of my memories. They were on uh, my work. Teams. They were my teammates on mission trips. We were roommates on choir tours. We were at each other's birthday parties and graduation parties, and we wrote each other warm fuzzies on retreats and sat together in Sunday school. I was confirmed with one of them. The other was a year older. Now we don't see each other very often, but we make a point to come together every few months. We decided to do this about four years ago. We were.、Um, My friend Sarah and I were sitting together at a funeral luncheon for Michelle's mother, who had died, and we decided we just can't only see each other at funerals. We need to get together, and so we've been getting together a couple times a year since then. And I have to tell you that there's something about getting together with these friends. They're not a part of my daily life other than through Facebook, but they know me. They know where I came from and how I got here. There's no falseness about our dinners. We are just who we are. Who were Jesus's friends? Have you ever wondered about that? I mean, who were his real people? The people who knew him well, those with whom he could let down his guard and just be. Was he ever able to sit down and have a meal with friends and talk about who he really was? Could he be his true self? Share his fears, his excitements, his thoughts. Was there anyone in his life that, when he got together with them, they could just be themselves? I wonder about Mary of Mary and Martha, who, while Martha was in the kitchen fussing, Mary just sat there in the living room with Jesus. She just wanted to hang out with him, talk with him. Then there's John, the disciple. He's called the beloved disciple. I wonder if he's the beloved because we don't read in Scripture about him vying for Jesus's attention. He doesn't try to prove himself like some of the other disciples do. Maybe when John was with Jesus, the two were just themselves. I think about the woman who came to Jesus shortly before he died. Some call her Mary, though there's confusion on which Mary she is and if she is really a Mary. She came and anointed Jesus with costly oil, giving no thought to how much money that oil was worth. She just wanted to do something kind for him. Knew that in this moment, he needed that kind of attention. She was just wanting to be generous with him before he died. In our scripture lesson from the Gospel of John, Jesus said that a friend gives his life for his friends, and we know that Jesus certainly did that for his friends and for us too. But when we take it in a broader sense and apply it to our own lives, it's a harder scripture to deal with. I know. We can certainly take it literally and assume that we are to give our lives for each other. I talked about that back in February, during the CUMCU at the movies when we saw Selma. 
But today I want to take a different approach because I think when it comes to friendship, there can be another meaning, one that we see with a woman who anointed Jesus. When we are friends with someone, we put aside our earthly concerns, our pretenses and desires. We are willing to sacrifice ourselves not be, by not being directed by our fears, our pride, the things that we want in generosity for the other. I've been meeting uh, with some of our high school junior and senior girls. Uh, we've been reading together Ed Bacon's book, Eight Habits of Love. They wanted to have a book club, so we're doing that. And his premise is that when we embrace the beloved, which is God within us, and recognize that we are loved, we adopt eight habits, an outgrowth of that love. Now, he doesn't use our Methodist language, but I think that he's describing sanctifying grace. And the first habit that he describes is generosity. Bacon writes, the habit of generosity is the practice of opening our hearts so that we may give and receive. This habit allows every gift that flows into each of us to flow through us to others. I love this notion that calls us to look at generosity as more than just giving things or money, but giving ourselves. It's a very grace-filled concept. When we approach others with generosity, we are allowing God's love in us to be experienced by the person, the friend we are with. During his days as president, Thomas Jefferson and a group of companions were traveling across the country on horseback, and they came to a river that had left its banks because of a recent downpour. The swollen river had washed the bridge away. Each of the riders was forced to cross the river on horseback, fighting for his life against the rapid currents. The very real possibility of death threatened each rider, which caused a traveler who was not part of their group to step aside and watch. After several had plunged in and made it to the other side, the stranger asked President Jefferson if he would ferry him across the river. The president agreed without hesitation. The man climbed on, and shortly thereafter, the two of them made it safely to the other side. As the stranger slid off the back of the saddle onto the dry ground, one in the group asked him, tell me, why did you select the president to ask this favor of? The man was shocked, admitting that he had no idea it was the president who had helped him. All I know, he said, is that on some of your faces was written the answer no, and some of them was the answer yes. His was a yes face. A habit of generosity draws people to us and allows God's grace to flow from us even when we don't realize it. When we allow love to guide us in laying aside or giving up our wants, our fears, we engage in genuine friendship that is birthed in generosity. When we choose to be generous with our friends, it means that we let go of our ego-centeredness. Bacon says the habit of generosity encourages another person's development rather than insisting that everyone else's struggles and challenges are really about you. Now, this is not an easy thing to do, I know. I struggle with it at times, and I give out the advice all the, all the time that to people not to make it about themselves and consider what your friend is going through when they snap at you. But it's hard to not take in personally and wonder how they could treat you that way. When we are generous with one another, 
We consider what it is that the other is experiencing that has led them to act this way and allow us to be gracious with the other. Generous people give give of themselves differently. In authentic friendship, people are honest with one another. They let down their guards and they let others in. They try. They make an effort because they know that their friend deserves it. Friends take the time to know each other's hearts, to know each other's concerns, fears, joys, and dreams. During a lecture trip to Texas, Henry Nowen bought a large cowboy hat for Raymond, one of the disabled members of the house in which he lived. Nowen writes, I looked forward to coming home and giving him my gift. But when Raymond, whose needs for attention and affirmation were as boundless as my own, saw my gift, he started yelling at me. I don't need your silly gift. I have enough gifts. I have no place for them in my room. My walls are full. You better keep your gift. I don't need it. His words opened a deep wound in me, now in rights. He made me realize that I wanted to be his friend, but instead of spending time with him and offering him my attention, I had given him an expensive gift. Raymond's angry response to to the Texan hat confronted me with my inability to enter into a personal relationship with him and develop a real friendship. The hat, instead of being seen as an expression of friendship, was seen as a substitute for it. Jesus made friends by coming alongside people, by meeting them on their turf. He ate with them. He took the time to talk to them, to know them, to see who they were at their core and embrace them and offer words of assurance, challenge, comfort. He didn't make assumptions based on appearances or on what the right thing to do was. He acted out of generosity and love for them, for their needs, even when religious and societal laws told him he couldn't. He laid that all down to be with his friends. This past week, Getting Ahead in a Just Getting By World began. Perhaps you've heard of the program. Many in our congregation have taken the Bridges Out of Poverty class, which is designed for people not living in poverty to understand the culture of poverty. The Getting Ahead class is designed for those living in poverty to examine the impact living in poverty has on them and the community. The class builds connections and helps forge relationships that bring change. We are at a point in our ministry as a church where we simply can't view those we serve as the other or as those we serve. These two classes are helping us to break down the walls and to build friendships that we might be generous with one another. It's creating the kind of friendships that Jesus did. Our confirmation class this year, you know, did some amazing work in building the kingdom. If you were here last Sunday night, you heard about how they used God's gifts to make a difference in the world by giving of themselves, their times, their talents, living in generosity. They did some incredible things. They raised over $17,000 for missions and ministries about which they were passionate. That is an incredible feat, and I am so excited by the difference they've made. But what I've loved hearing about even more than the news of the money that they made is how the personal relationships, the friendships, were born in the midst. How their actions were actions of love. Their work was an expression of generosity because of friendships, relationships, encounters with others, 
working together with one another or meeting with people, dealing with hardship, hearing people's stories, getting to know the leaders of the programs they served. They built the kingdom. My hope and my prayer for them is that they will always remember what God can do through them when they are open to God's leading and the love of God stirring inside of them will continue to propel them through this life with a habit of generosity. And my prayer is that we will follow their lead. I titled my sermon this morning, One Plus One is Three, because I firmly believe that when we are generous with one another, when we lay aside our stuff for our friend, God is present. God is there, and we are no longer two, but three. Jesus gave himself up for us, and we are called to love in that same way. When we remember how loved we are, generosity will come naturally. So be generous with each other, my friends. Now, at the second service, when we have these confirmations filling these kids, filling these first few rows, I'm going to say something to them that I thought, you know what, I'm going to just say it to you too. You are going to make a lot of friends in your life, and they will be good ones. But I can say without a doubt that the friends you make in church, the friends you make who share your faith, will be your best. These are the friends who will truly let you be yourself because they will share your faith and see how God is working in your life. They will know you as a child of God. You might not always talk about your faith, but you will share it. And that gives you a strength that God very much intends for you to have. So don't waste what God has given you. Invest in these friendships and let them continue to grow and flourish. You have the potential for lifelong friendships with people who will love you with the grace that God loves you. Amen.